0: Students podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6:30 to 8:30 with our students. So I hope that the sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. I would like to draw your attention tonight to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And the title of my sermon is regeneration, regeneration, I'm trying to roll the R, regeneration, Um, it's a big word, but you guys are more than capable. One of my pet peeves when it comes to youth groups is a lot of youth pastors will kind of talk down to you like you don't understand big words or big doctrines, and I think that you're smarter than you look. Just put it that way. Um, yeah, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, so I, I, I do believe, sorry, I got I to gotta crack jokes. You know, I'm not, I'm not really serious. But I, I, do, I do believe that you are more than capable, every single one of you, understanding the truths of Scripture. I think Scripture is clear. Um, I think that uh, a child can understand it. And I know that you can understand it. So I don't want to ever talk down to you. But regeneration It is the doctrine of God planting new spiritual life into the heart of the dead soul. It is a work of God's grace alone. And that's what I want to talk about. We're in the middle of a sermon series, and this is the third sermon in that series. So we preach two sermons at Rooted. So for those of you that weren't there, there's going to be a little catch-up, okay? And so we're in the middle of a sermon series called All of Grace. And the whole idea is we're looking at the doctrine of salvation, and how salvation, there's different aspects of it. Just like a diamond, if you go look at my wife's ring. There's different facets. There's different angles you can look at it. Different pieces or different ways that, that bring out the beauty of it. And just like the doctrine of salvation, there's different facets. Different lenses that you can look through to see this beautiful picture of God's grace. And we're going to look at nine different doctrines, really. We started with the doctrine of election and calling. Calling. And now we're looking at regeneration. From the Apostle Paul all the way down to the present day, believers have confessed that we, once sinners, are saved by grace alone. That salvation is by grace alone. (laughs) All of God's doing. While damnation is all of man's doing, God does not cause anyone to sin. God is not the source of one's damnation. Only man's sin is. From the beginning of time, there's always been a debate as to how mankind can be saved. There's these three different views. And the debate consists of these three positions throughout all of history. One, we were all born into. We all used to... Uh, agree with this and then there's two that kind of there's debates within the christian community and so i want to bring uh i want to bring you up to speed and show you these three different views of salvation and then why i am preaching on the series all of grace and the view that i hold to this church holds to and i would say all of church history and also the apostle paul jesus and the, the biblical authors and the holy spirit himself There's always been three views of salvation in this debate. The first one is that salvation is all of works. It's all of man. So instead of all of grace, it's all of man. This is what Adam believed in the garden. He believed that he could earn his salvation or that he could be God. He wanted to be greater than God. And so he rebelled against the true and living God. And he did what was right in his own eyes. He went after the desires of his flesh and of his heart and he ate of the fruit that he was not supposed to eat of. He wanted to be God. Salvation is found within man. Think of the Tower of Babel. This is our culture. This is every non-believer that has ever lived, has always lived for themselves. Trying to build an edifice, a tower. And what did it say in Genesis 11? What, What reason was it for? To make a name for themselves. Every person that does not know Jesus believes that salvation or satisfaction, even the atheists, though they don't believe in a God, they still believe that there's purpose in life and that there's the ultimate purpose, possibly, and that is only fulfilled and found in man. It's by being a good person. It's by being enlightened. You know, for the LGBTQ community or uh, salvation is found with being your authentic self. For the Marxists, what is it? For them. They don't believe in God. The Marxist uh, utopia is equal outcome of all people except for those in power, right? And everyone's just impoverished. Natural man. Salvation by man, by politics, or by government. Because when there's no God, government is God. And that's the goal. Goal. In this view, man really sees himself as the ruler, as God, as supreme. Think of the Israelites. Whenever they would reject God, they would go after false gods. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes in the book of Judges. They're trying to live for themselves. This is natural to man. Romans chapter 1 really hits on this. It says that the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. Why? Because mankind, those outside of Christ, have suppressed the truth. They have exchanged the glory of God for a lie, the truth about God for a lie, and they've worshipped the creature rather than the creator. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. And although they knew God, they did not honor God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is salvation by works. Did you know, I can't say it in German, but I remember going to the Holocaust Museum and this is how sick the Germans were. Uh, Whenever you went to a, a concentration camp on the gate, there was this saying in German. I can't say it. I have a picture of it on my phone. But the saying, what it said was, um, <clears throat> works will set you free. That's what it meant. And now what do you have a picture of in that concentration camp? Nothing but death. Salvation by works only leads to death. You can't do it. But that's what all mankind's striving after. They're trying to be their best authentic self, Right? Salvation is only found in them. And if you are realizing now that you have not been living for Jesus, but you live for yourself and you're just trying to be a good person, the Bible calls you to repent, to turn from your sin and to come to Jesus, to find true hope, to stop trying to work and work and work, which only leads to death for the wages of sin is death. That's the first view. Salvation, all of man. Okay. The second view that is very popular is the view that was championed by Rome, or Roman Catholicism, and it still dominates the world today, and that is that salvation is most of God and some of man. Or, it's of some grace and some works. So God does some work and man does another. This is the work of cooperation. Okay? Cooperation. You guys get it, right? Two people working together together. Man cooperates with God in order to achieve salvation. This is the second view. Who holds to this view? Mormons hold to this view. This is from 2 Nephi 25, 23, that you are saved by grace after all that you do. Even Mormons believe that you're saved by grace, but what's the qualifier there? After all that you do. See, it's grace plus works. It's God plus man. It's this cooperation. And actually you won't be saved unless you're a part of the church as well. Jews also believe in a view of cooperation, right? They believe that they're saved uh, through the covenant of grace, really, that God made with ethnic Israel. But really, they have to keep the ceremonial law. The Pharisees believe that. It's cooperation. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in a a salvation by cooperation. Uh, They believe that Jesus is not God, but still died to save sinners, But sinners must join the church, and it's through the church and earning their standing with God that they're saved. Muslims also believe in this second view. They believe in in cooperation. They believe Allah to be the supreme and sovereign being who is only appeased by strict adherence to the Quran. Got to pray five times a day, all these things, right? And if your good outweighs the bad, then you'll be saved. Then there's the Roman Catholics. Being closest to the Protestants, but still not believing in salvation by grace, truly. They believe that you're saved by grace, but the grace that you need for salvation is inferred, or, in, or sorry, infused through the sacramental system. So, it's like you're saved by grace, but you, the only way that you can get that grace, it's like when you go to a soda machine, you're like, I want Coke, right? And you put the dollar in. And, well, it's the same way. Roman Catholics, it's like, you want grace? Well, you've got to go do penance. Or you gotta be baptized, right? They believe in baptismal regeneration, meaning that when you're baptized as an infant, all your original sin is washed; you're a clean slate. But if you sin or commit a mortal sin, or uh, then you've fallen from grace, and you need to go and do penance, and you see a priest, and he'll tell you what you need to do in order to earn that grace back. It's really seductive, Um, and it preys on people and makes sure that they never have assurance of salvation. So that people live in fear and they always come back. What what must I do? What must I do? This is cooperation still. Justification is achieved through one's own works or sanctification in the Roman Catholic system. And now, not far from the Roman Catholics are most Christians today. There are genuine believers. that believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. They believe the gospel just like us. However, and they're unlike, you know, Roman Catholics, if they trust in their works for salvation, Muslims, Jehovah's Witness, Jews, all the, they will be damned to hell. But there are Christians who still believe in a a view of salvation that is a cooperation with God and man. And that's why I say it's pretty close to Rome. It's actually kind of on the path back to Rome. These are Christians who believe that salvation is a work of mostly God, but some of man. It's based, salvation, yes, is based on the finished work of Christ. But in order to gain salvation, you must take the first step. You must choose God. You must exert faith. You must Trust in Jesus. Now I say that every single week, right? It sounds it's interesting, but they believe that God gives prevenient grace. That means grace beforehand that helps believers who aren't really dead in their sins. They're they're corrupted by sin, but they're, God still gives them prevenient grace that allows them to respond to the gospel. And they must take the first step and believe. And then God chooses them, and then God regenerates them, makes them alive. But they must make the first step. And this first step is based on free will. Free will. God cooperates with man's free will. You've heard that term? Do you know when, where that term comes from? It's not found in scripture at all. You will not find it at all. Um, if you do, please let me know. That'd be awesome. I'd I, I change, all right? So um, free will can't, was... was um, uh, thought of or coined by this man named Pelagian. Weird name. name your We're going to name our son Pelagian. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do the son or daughter. It could be Pelagian. That'd be a good name. Um, no, just kidding. I'm not going to name name them Pelagian because Pelagian was a pagan monk. And that would not be kind. <laughs> it would not be kind to do that. Pelagian did not He believed that we are saved by pulling up our bootstraps, that we, unlike, we, are, we are born without any sin, But that man has given us free will in order to come and save ourselves. Now, that's where that word comes from. But this view, these Christians, they're not as radical as Pelagian. They're semi-Pelagians like John Wesley. They believe that God's choice of believers is based on the sinner's choice of God. Right? So God's election of sinners is determined by man. Man is in the driver's seat. God kind of, he sent Jesus, but he's kind of waiting back in heaven for some people to choose him, and those that choose him, he will save. So man essentially is in the driver's seat, and God's will to save is determined by man. And in this view, these Christians do not believe that man is spiritually dead and unable to trust in Christ, but that God has given them some grace in order to cooperate with him to receive Jesus. In this view, people, are, these, these Christians, they view man as drowning in an ocean. Man in their sin, they're drowning. You know, Have you ever felt like you're drowning before? Right? They're, they're, they're drowning in their sin. And in God's grace, he sends Christ, who is the life preserver. And Christ is passive. It's, he's sitting on the water, the life preserver. And in order to be saved, that person who's drabbing, uh, drowning needs to grab the life preserver. And if he does that... He will be saved. In this scheme, man is active in salvation and Christ is passive, right? He's waiting for man to choose him. And so they choose him based off their own free will with the help of grace. This is cooperation. God and man together achieve salvation, Some people that believe this, some promoters, would be... uh, this, This view really came to prominence in the 1500s. It's not a very old view. With Jacob Arminius, he was a Dutch theologian. And John Wesley and Charles Finney. Roger Olson and most of the Methodists. So if you go to a Methodist church, they might believe in this view. Most Baptists and Dispensationalists believe in this. Not all. It's a pretty prominent view in Christianity today. Now, I want to pause right here. I know that there are some in this room that hold to this view. And I just want you to know that I love you. <laughs> I love you even though I may not agree with you. And you are welcome here. And my job as a pastor is to preach God's word. And I'm going to do my best to, to uh, convince you of what I think is true But I'm not gonna condemn you. These are believers in Christ and we can have fellowship with them. We must love them. You're always welcome at my table, right? I will not cancel you. This is no cancel culture here. Please don't cancel me, all right? I don't wanna be canceled, but that that, that stinks, right? But, you know, Jesus was canceled. He was, but anyways, I, I love you. And my heart's desire for you is that you would trust in Jesus, every single one of you. And so I don't wanna enter into this topic of salvation with pride. And neither should you. Those of you that get excited about this, you need to be careful to not be prideful. Knowledge puffs up and we need to love one another. And here's my, if you hold to this view, here's my encouragement. Can I put on my pastor hat? I already was, I was preaching. You need to base everything in your life on the word of God and not your feelings. You need to base everything on not what the preacher says, but what the word of God says. And you need to test your beliefs based off scripture. And I want you to wrestle with the truths that we've taught at Rooted and what I'm going into. And I want you to come under the word of God. See, a lot of students, what they do is they take God's word and they stand over it as the judge. And they say, I don't like that. Or that's a little too hard for me. You know, that, that, that portion right there, I don't know, on election, predestination, I don't, I'm just gonna cut it out. I know true believers that they love God and they just will ignore this doctrine. But we need to be people who keep the Bible over us, that we submit to it. looks funny, right? We need to submit to the word. And so what is the posture that you're taking? And if you think that I am wrong and I'm going against Scripture, you need to call me out in private, please, not when I'm preaching. And I will change my mind if you're right, because I want to submit my life to the word of God. Okay. And lastly, God has called me to preach to you. And so your blood, if I don't preach the gospel, if I don't preach what God has called me to preach, then your blood is on my hands. When Paul was leaving the Ephesians church, he says, I preach the whole counsel of God to you. My blood, your blood is not on my hands. I preached every word without apology. And that's what I'm going to do. Why? Because I love you and I care for you. And that's what shepherds do. I don't want to be judged by God. I want to be faithful to his word. And so with that, I'm entering into the third view. The third view, it's the view that our church holds and it's the view that I think scripture holds and I think it is a precious view that you should wrestle with. At least think about and pray through. And the third view is that salvation from A to Z is all of grace. Salvation is of free grace, not of free will. Okay, okay. Free grace, not of free will. It's all of grace and it's all for God's glory. We don't get to boast about anything because we didn't cooperate at all. God does all the work, therefore he gets all the glory. We don't steal it from them. If I say that I cooperate, at least this is my conviction, then I could take some, some pride in that. I could say, Lord, thank you for the help, but you know, you needed my help too. All of this is for God's glory. God is the one in the driver's seat. He's the one who is sovereign. And he's the only one who is absolutely free. God is the only one with free will. (laughs) How come we are so concerned with the free will of man and we just chuck out the free will of God? He's the creator. We're the creature. You've probably been in a store and you've seen a little kid talk back to their parents. And I'm like, who does that kid think that he is? You know, some of you have siblings. You're like, oh man, wait till dad gets home, right? (laughs) Shoot. One day our father will come home. We're manifested in Jesus. He'll make all things life. He's the author of life. He's, he's, He's the author of creation. He's the author of the new life, of the new creation. Those in this view believe, and this is, I'm quoting from our doctrinal statement online. We believe that before the foundation of the world, before creation, before the foundation of the world, before creation, God chose to save those who would be saved and granted this unearned grace solely based on the sovereign good pleasure of His will, not our free will. It's not based, our salvation is not based on anything in us. You see, the only thing that you attributed to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Jonathan Edwards. Jesus Christ, I'm going to keep quoting, Jesus Christ's death on the cross was the sole and complete payment for sins, fully satisfying God's righteous wrath for each person that, trans, that turns from sin, uh, sorry, that for each person that turns from sin in repentance and places their faith in Christ alone. Not Christ in your faith or your choosing, but Christ alone for salvation. This third view has been held by church his, uh, for all of church history, Every ancient creed, all the church fathers going from AD to Augustine, all the way down to Thomas Aquinas, who held this view. The dumb ox was his name. Dude wrote books. He wasn't dumb. He wrote books like this, this thick. All right. he, was, he was awesome. All the way down to the greatest evangelist of all time, George uh, Whitfield, to Charles Spurgeon, to John Calvin, Martin Luther, I'm missing a ton, Swingley, John Knox... All the, the greatest missionaries ever uh, to live, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, Jim Elliot, they all held this view. And so it's, it's interesting to me when people say the doctrine of election keeps us from evangelism when the best evangelists of all time have held to this position. God must get all the glory, therefore He is the one who saved us and it's all of grace. He's the only one who can save We attribute nothing. Why? Because Scripture says in Ephesians 2 1 that we are dead in sin. Listen to what the Bible has to say about man and sin. First Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14. Look, I gotta submit to Scripture, right? We gotta submit to Scripture. First Corinthians two fourteen says this the natural person, the person in the flesh, the natural person, the person without Christ does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He's not, he doesn't have the ability because he's morally corrupt. He can't even understand that. Sin has affected our minds. We are unable to cooperate. Go to Romans chapter eight, if you're turning in your Bibles. Romans chapter eight, verse seven. I'm gonna go through these quick so you can listen to me or not, or please listen to me, or you can turn there. Romans 8, 7 says this about the man. It says, For the mind, uh, for, uh, for the mind that is set on the flesh, the mind that, is, that is, cannot understand God because there's sin, the mind set on the f- or, sorry, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, dead in their sins, cannot please God. Now, does it please God to trust in him? Yes. So what does it say about those who are dead in sin that they cannot please God? They are unable to exercise faith. Why? Because faith is a gift of God. They're dead. Dead people do not cooperate. (laughs) If I were to take a dead person and lay him right here on the ground for all of you anatomy-loving people to dissect, no, that'd be weird. Some of you would be like, that's kind of interesting. I would like to do that, maybe. (laughs) Maybe God's calling you to be a coroner. (laughs) Dead person. You picture him right here. Dead person. And if I had a little pill and it said salvation, and I put that pill on his chest, I said, come on, man. Believe. Take the pill. He's not going to cooperate. I could try my best to persuade him, but he's dead. That's what scripture says. We're dead spiritually. We're like the walking dead. Yes, you're still living right now, but you're literally spiritually dead. You can't respond to God. You can't cooperate. You're blinded by sin. Jesus says in John eight thirty three that those who sin are slaves to sin. So how do we reconcile the scripture's teaching on the doctrine of man that says that man is dead in sin and cannot save himself. See, man's state is not one of drowning, but he's dead at the bottom of the lake. Throw out the life preserver. No. So what needs to happen? (laughs) Have you ever seen someone who's conked out? You know, the little things, they have the defibrillators, right? They give them the defibrillators, here you go. All right, do it, man. You got it, right? And do it themselves. No, you don't do that. You need someone else to come and shock the person back to life. He needs someone to dive into the lake and to grab you to save you. That's what Jesus did. He was sent on a rescue mission. He took a dive from heaven to earth to save you. And it's all of grace. It's all of grace. To this day, men cannot bear this doctrine of free grace, Spurgeon said. He said, free will suits them very well, but free grace does not. They would not let Christ choose his own wife. Get it? Because we're the bride of Christ. They won't let Jesus choose his own wife to save. Hmm. See, out of all these three views, this third is the only one that takes sin seriously. We are that sinful, guys. We're that sinful. And in order to be saved, to receive eternal life, Life must be implanted in you by the grace of God. And this is the whole point of John 3, which I'm not going to preach tonight because I've gone too long already. But I'm going to read it because I believe it puts the nail in the coffin of this debate. And it's your only hope. Your only hope of receiving salvation is by looking to Jesus. And look, you don't have to agree with me right now. And you're not a lesser Christian. But I want to at least challenge you because I love you. And I want you to think about these things. I want you to pray over these things. If you are a Christian, you have trusted in Jesus Christ. Your soul is not at stake. You will be brought all the way home. Okay? But I want you to look at this text. John chapter 3, just real quick. And notice that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, so he believes in cooperation. And it says, now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jew- Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no one can do the, uh, sorry, because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus, the best evangelist, the most gracious savior, the one who loves to call sinners to himself, who loves to save the least of these, what does he say to this man? How does he evangelize to him? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from heaven or born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, Nick, listen to me, Nick, unless you exercise your free will and choose me, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He doesn't say that. He does not say, unless your good works, Nicodemus, outweigh your bad, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you go to church, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I could go on and on, right? What does Jesus say? Unless you are born again, born from above, unless the Holy Spirit comes into your life and implants new life into you, you will remain dead you must be born again, Nicodemus. You must be made alive. I love what he says. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Dude, that's weird, Nicodemus, man. You've got a weird <laughs> imagination. But he, he, he doesn't understand. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, that is water, as unless they're cleansed by the work of the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Don't you all want to enter the kingdom of God here? I long for that. And you will not enter the kingdom of God unless God implants new life in you. Now, how? How does God implant new life in you? It's through the preaching of the gospel. Everything that I have been saying, it's through the preaching of the gospel that God, the Holy Spirit takes and awakens your heart and some of you, you remember this when you got saved. You were living for yourself. And then in a moment or over time, God opened your eyes to see the wonderful things of his grace. He showed you your sin for the very first time and you wept and you ran to Jesus. You came home. You're like the prodigal son who was, he was in the dirt and the mire. and Then the Holy Spirit awakened his eyes to say, I need to go home. That is what regeneration is. That is the new life. That is God implanting new life in the soul of the dead man. You must be born from above. And notice, what did you contribute to your first birth? Were you active or were you passive? Was your mom passive or were you active? (laughs) It's a weird question. Did you plan your first birth? Was your conception your idea? Did you take the first step? No. You were completely passive. Ask your mom. She says, if you take any credit, I will. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. You put me through pain. Yeah. And this, that's why Jesus uses this new birth analogy Nicodemus, this is something that you cannot do. You can't achieve it by the law, you're already trying. You need a heavenly birth. And guess what? It can be yours. And right after he teaches it to Nicodemus, what follows? Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked hates Jesus, hates the light, and does not come to the light. Everyone who does wicked things does not come to the light. You can't come to the light, you're dead lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that that his works have been carried out in God. Can I ask you just a question? Why is it hard for us to swallow the truth that God is the one who works salvation? Isn't he the good and just and merciful and gracious God? Why would we rather put sinful man in the driver's seat rather than gracious God? Think about that with me. I would much rather have God in the driver's seat, knowing how wicked and sinful I am. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy that He has caused us to be born again. I had... Two more pages. And so I'm going to end with this. Why does this matter? Why does salvation by grace matter? You, a couple things. You must be born again. You need God's grace. You must be saved. Secondly, salvation by grace alone humbles us. There's nothing for you to boast in. It just leaves you on your knees before God. Wow. I don't deserve anything but hell and death and judgment. That's what we all deserve. But God, in his love, chose to save sinners out of his mercy. Salvation by grace alone is the grounds for evangelism. In fact, Paul says, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. And therefore, because you're a new creation, go and be an ambassador and preach free grace to anyone and everyone. De- Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient for all but it's effective for those whom he've called it's we need to evangelize salvation by grace alone is truly good news and it frees you to live for Jesus knowing that nothing will separate you from his love and lastly the view that salvation is all of grace brings the most glory to God because he did all the work therefore he gets all the glory let's not be glory thieves <laughs> Let's not steal glory from God. Romans 11.33, I end with this. Paul, after he preaches these great doctrines, he exclaimed, he's left to worship and he says this. I know that there are dear students in here that are wrestling through these truths. I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray, Lord, that if I made anyone feel dumb or stupid, that you would forgive me. Lord, that's not my heart. I want students to know the true grace of God. Lord, I'm not out to offend or to provoke I wanna be faithful to your word and I just pray for every student in here that they would see that your grace, your sovereign grace is their only hope, Lord, and that they come to worship you, come to submit to you. God, I, you know my heart, you know that I love each and every one of these students, that this has been some of the f- best four and a half years of shepherding and I, I can't wait to do more of it, to get very little sleep at Rooted in summer camp and to make memories And to preach the gospel of free grace. To see more people baptized. To see more come to Jesus. To see them come running into your arms. Lord, what a joy. I pray for every single one of these students. That you would grow us in our affection for one another. That as you have shown us such great grace and mercy. That we would do the same for one another. Grow our love in this place. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus name. Amen.